Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? The tribe has gathered. Yes. Well, my name is Jake. I want to welcome you. If this is your first time, we're glad that you're here. If you're tuning in online, uh, we're thank you. We're, we're glad that you're tuning in. Um, today, I'm going to talk about life and, and death and baptism and Roman processions. And, and uh, uh, I'm going to give you a little hint right now, a little um, prequel. My goal, part of my heart is it's Baptism Sunday. <laughs> and at the end of our message, we're going to come back up for one more time of worship. Um, and we're going to see some people baptized. But I'm going to let you know now, if you're in this place and during the message, God's just stirring in your heart something. And you say, man, I wish, I, I want to be baptized today. We've already made provisions. We've got extra clothes back there for you. So back there in the back, Anna, wave your hand. If that's you, whether you've signed up or not, make your way back there um, and, and, and do it. Uh, there's nothing like it. Amen. Awesome, awesome. Question, I want to ask you. Who in here wants to be successful? Yes. Who here wants to have a full life? I mean, the best life. Okay. How many of you at the same time would point at those people and say, hey, while you're blessing those people, I'll take a big plate of suffering and pain. <laughs> oh, nice, I'm in the right place, yes. <laughs> uh, this is why we struggle sometimes uh, with, you know, scriptures where Paul says, you know, I, I look forward to suffering and, and pain and I count it joy. And we look at that and we're like, this is so weird. Like, what do we do with that? So uh, if you will, would you stand with me as we read together a, a portion of our text today? It's found in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 27. <clears throat> would you join me and read this together? It says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up of his spirit. Pause there. What does yielded up mean? Give up. To give up, to lay down, right? Interesting phrase that he uses here. Okay, continue. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after the resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. What a weird scripture, isn't that? <laughs> Let's pray. God, um, as we start this morning, uh, we want to dig into your text. Your scripture, it, it, it's, we know it, it comes alive and it's active. And so do that today, God. Let it penetrate our hearts, our souls. Let it speak to something deep into our souls, God. I pray for life. Uh, I pray, God, that we could tap into the resurrection life that Jesus had on the cross today in this place this morning. If you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Come on, as you're seated, turn to someone and say, you look so much better than last week. <laughs> I want to talk to you today about two principles uh, or two laws, kind of like the law of gravity. Um, one principle is a principle that God operates in, okay? And one, the other principle or law is the one that we typically tend to operate in. Now, you may walk out of here and you say, Jake, I completely disagree with this principle, with this law that God operates in. That's fine. You can disagree with it. It doesn't change the fact that this is how God operates. Does that make sense? Much like you can disagree with the law of gravity, you can go up to the top of this building, jump off, and you're going to learn real quick that it don't matter if you disagree, amen? Now, in order to talk about this, 
you've got to understand that we can know about this principle. We can know about God's law within this. Uh, and, and that's great, but it's something else to actually value it. What does it mean to value something? Place importance of, of, of something, right? To, to uh, maybe lean into, maybe is a good phrase to use for it. And, and here's the thing is, we, we, we know typically about this uh, principle, about this law, um, but we don't tend to value it. We tend to value more of the principle that we're more and more accustomed to. The two laws that I'm talking about uh, is the law of life to death and then God's law of death to life. Now, to understand the difference in it, I I need to give away some money. So um, anyone looking for some cash today? Yeah? You want some cash? Stand up. Give us your name. What's your name? George. Say it again. George. George. Everyone say hi, George. Hi, George. What's a good amount of money? 100 bucks? Would that be good? 500 is good. 500? Wow, I like this guy. What would you do with 500 bucks? Go shopping. Go shopping. That's a noble thing, right? Um, all right, I tell you what, let me get you 500 bucks here. Yes. Hold on here. One, two, three, four, five. Let's give 600. 600 sound good? $600 sound good? Boardwalk and Park Place. <laughs> Boardwalk and Park Place. Give them a hand there. I got lots more. Does anyone else want, want some money? We got one. No one else is just like jumping at the bit for this. How come? How come when I say money and you look at this and some people are like, oh, <laughs> it's Monopoly money. How come, how come you did that? Value, yes. So here's the question. Let me ask you this. This money, we all know this very well, right? If you've ever played Monopoly, this is Monopoly money. Is this like our cash? It's green, <laughs> right? It's paper, <laughs> right? We trade things for it, correct? But does it have value? No? Ah, it does have value. Where does this have value at? Only in the game of Monopoly, right? Now, if I were to go and say, uh, pay my landlord and say, uh, hold on <laughs> one second here. What would he respond with? A letter. A letter. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Right? He'd think I was crazy, right? Because I can't take Monopoly money and use it in real life, right? Because what, what do we use, what do we value in our life that has value? Cash, baby, right? <laughs> right? We want the cat. Now, if I had pulled out $600 cash, you would have liked that one. That would have been good, wouldn't it? He would have had a great shopping trip. <laughs> Here's the thing. I can take Monopoly money. I can try and spend it in our world. And I'd get laughed at, wouldn't I? Question, can I take my real money and use it in Monopoly? I could. <laughs> That'd be an interesting game of Monopoly, right? Right? Boardwalk Row would have a whole nother tension, wouldn't it? Like, oh man, please don't roll six. (laughs) And here's what I'm talking about, okay? And and, and the difference I'm talking about, because we're talking what you value, okay? There's a value to Monopoly money that's only good in the game of? And I can't use the money Monopoly in our world, correct? Correct? Yet there's a value to cold, hard cash, 
and I can use that money, and that has value no matter where I use it. I could play it in popomatic trouble, right? It doesn't matter. Like uh, Monopoly, I, it's cash. It has real value to it. Here's what I'm talking about. The, the, the law of life to death is the, the law that we tend to operate here in this world. And it's like monopoly money. And it's only good here. And we only see that. And, and here's the thing, is we see it valued. And there is some truth to the value of it, right? In this world, you know, what we value in, the, in this value of life to death um, has some value, some truth, and that's just what the enemy does. He, he, puts a, he takes a little bit of truth and he twists it, right? But the real value, or let's just say the bigger value, is understanding God's law of death to life, which is translatable to our monopoly world and much bigger. Does this make sense? I, I, I got to make sure that, that, that we're not skipping over anyone here because here's, we tend to, here, let, me, let me just explain, okay? The, the, the principle of life to death, the one that we typically operate in our monopoly world, if you will, it says that there is a beginning and there is an end, right? And there's a value to death and we don't like death, do we? <laughs> we're introduced to death early on in life and we do everything in our life to avoid <laughs> death. Am I right? But just like in Monopoly, if you have a start and an end to a game, if you will, uh, if you know there's an end, what are you going to do during that timeline? You're going to do everything you can to win, right? You're going to try to accumulate. You're going to try to be as successful as you can. Have you ever played Monopoly with someone that just said, you know what? I'm just going to let you in. Here's all my money. They'd be a fool, wouldn't they? They'd be foolish. And yet this is what we tend to operate in is there's a beginning and there's life, but then life comes to an end and there's death. And because of that, we tend to look at this life and we try to maximize it as much as we can, right? Carpe diem, YOLO, you only live once, right? Like, like we, want, we want to, if we're gonna be successful in life, this is our window. If we want to be great, if we want to have a life that's full, this is our timeline. And what we forget to, to, to remember is that at the end of the game, all the pieces go back in the board, right? But God's teaching a different principle, and it is different. <laughs> Let me show you. If you got your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. <clears throat> God says this, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. What's God saying? He's saying, listen, the way you think, your monopoly principles, your monopoly world is so different than my ways. And the way you tend to think and your thoughts are so far from mine. You have to understand that. So when you look at God's principles and how things go, it, you're going to tend to see it and go, that's so backwards. That's, that's so, that doesn't seem natural. It doesn't seem right. It shouldn't operate that way. Does, it, does this make sense? When you're reading scriptures and you read, you know, uh, about certain, you know, uh, t t you know, about losing your life, laying down your life, you know, serving others, um, uh, tithing and giving, and you're like, this just doesn't make sense in our monopoly world. Because a lot of times we put more value in that principle 
than what God's principle is, which is more, which is the principle of death to life. Now, let's unpack this a little bit, okay? Um, if you got your Bibles again, we're going to turn to Mark. It's in the New Testament. <clears throat> it's chapter 8, verse 31. It says this, And he, being Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer. Everyone say suffer. Suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Very popular message, right? <laughs> Love that one. And, and he said this plainly. What does that mean? It means he, he's not speaking in code here. He's like, this isn't metaphor. This isn't parable. Okay, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected and I'm going to die. Hallelujah. <laughs> and this is what it says. I love this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> Man, that's some chutzpah there. Anyone know what chutzpah means? Yeah, I heard this story of this girl that went to Sunday school and was learning about Jonah and the whale. And uh, the next day she went to school and the teacher was teaching on whales. And she was like, this is amazing. And so she raised her hand and she said, that must be the whale like the whale that Jonah was swallowed in. And the teacher said, well, I hate to burst your bubble, but it is physically impossible for a human being to live inside a whale. I'm sorry, but it just can't happen. And she said, oh, yes, it can happen. And he said, no, it can't happen. And she said, well, listen, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah one day and find out for sure. And the teacher, feeling a little spunky, fired back, well, how do you know Jonah went to heaven? What if he went to hell? And she said, well, then you can ask him. That's chutzpah, okay? And this is Peter, right? I mean, he pulled, at, least, at least Peter had the decency to pull him aside, right? Like, hey, Jesus, uh, can we talk a little bit, man? You're wrong. Like, you, this is not right. This is not happening. And, and this is how Jesus responds to Peter. He says, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan. Oh, oh, oh. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What's he saying? My thoughts, you're playing in Monopoly world. You hear me? You're placing value. You're not understanding the value, the principle of death to life here. You're thinking in your ways, not in God's ways here. And he goes on to explain this, this law of death to life. And he says, in calling the crowd to him, so he pulls him, sees it as a teaching moment, and he says... He said to them, if anyone, everyone say anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What? Now, see, it, this is hard for us to hear sometimes because we're so used to operating in the monopoly world, right? And, and we're, we don't understand. He says, in order to save my life, in order to have a life, I have to lose my life. He says, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross. I know today in our day and age, the, the, the cross, the symbol of the cross is is, is tied to Christianity and salvation and, and hope, and we, 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 we wear it on necklaces and stuff. But in those days, when Jesus would have said this, they would have been like, what? 
the cross was an instrument of death. It would be like Jesus coming up on stage and saying, if you want to follow me, you must pick up your electric chair. Like, you won't see that at the Shane Company, right? That's not a popular necklace. <laughs> See, you've got to die. You've got to lay yourself. Now, 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 listen, I know we tend to think of death as just as, you know, the finality and, and, and that is part of it. But death has many definitions, too. Death can be pain. It can be suffering. Uh, it can be serving others. It can be, if you read the scriptures a lot, and you'll see this over and over, this principle in the scriptures, the wilderness. Moses, before he can lead his people to freedom, has to live in the wilderness, in the desert. Jesus, before he comes out and performs miracles, has to fast for many days and is in the desert. David is promised to be king, and the next thing you know it, he's hiding in a cave from the current king, you know, hiding for his life in the desert, in the wilderness. It can be winter seasons when we don't, when the fruit's not visible. This can be death. Are you with me? And Jesus is saying, this is a part of how God operates. And I know it seems backwards, but if you really want to experience life, you have to, you have to walk through this. And suffering and pain may be a part of the equation. I know it's not sexy to say that, <laughs> right? But it doesn't change the fact that this is how God operates in the world. What do we value? So if we're talking about suffering, uh, I want to talk about salsa. <laughs> How many of you uh, love salsa? Awesome. I'm going to make you some fresh homemade salsa. Anyone make homemade salsa at all? A couple people? Okay. I'm going to take these. So we're going to start real basic here. Uh, we're going to start with tomatoes. I start with about six tomatoes. Now, while I'm making this, um, I want you to kind of see if you can notice any kind of pattern in here. Right, let me say, actually, more similarities within things, okay? See if you notice anything. So we're going to start with some, some tomatoes, and then uh, I'm going to take an onion. We're going to cut this in half. I'm going to use about half an onion. I used to have a friend in Bible college. I made salsa all the time. Um, I learned from my Aunt Brenda, um, Terry, uh, Pastor Terry and Brenda here. She turned me on to fresh salsa, and it changed my life. <laughs> and I used to make uh, salsa in Bible college. I was the only guy on my floor that had a food processor. <laughs> and I would make fresh salsa. And I had a friend, a roommate. We're going to use six peppers, by the way. How many of you like the heat? We're going to bring the heat this morning. Come on. Bring it. Last night, I brought too much heat, just so you know. <laughs> We're going to do... And how do you know, the smaller the pepper, the hotter it is. The small, small fact there. Anyways, I had this roommate, and he, uh, he used to, every time he would eat um, a, some of my salsa, he instantly got the hiccups. <laughs> and so it was the funniest thing, because no, no lie, like first bite, man, this guy would uh, just... And I just loved it, so I made more salsa for him all the time. <laughs> Next thing we're going to use is, is cilantro. How many of you guys know cilantro? 
They say now that uh, if you've done the Ancestry.com, that it's actually linked to your DNA, uh, whether you like it or not. So show of hands, how many like cilantro? How many hate cilantro? Yes. <laughs> you can thank your parents for that. <laughs> so we're going to use some cilantro in there, all right? And then I'm going to add some seasonings here. We're going to start with garlic. Anyone noticing a pattern with any of these yet? All right, just hold it to yourself. We're gonna use, uh, my wife made some salsa the other day, and, and she, she put too much garlic in. She, she said, is, is this too much garlic? And I said, there's no such thing as too much garlic. <laughs> Apparently there is, though, because <laughs> uh, it was very garlicky. So next, I'm going to put in, uh, it's called cumin. Uh, it comes from a plant called cuminin, and it's a seed. And you knock it off the seed, and you crush it up, and you get your cumin powder. It complements spices a lot. Uh, and then who can forget the chili powder? Got to have the chili powder. Amen? Now, I'm giving you the real basics here, okay? But we're going to mix it up now. Here we go. Someone told me uh, in between services, while I'm blending this, I should salsa dance for you. And I said, no, I want people to stay here. Uh, just, so we're going to blend it up nice and creamy here. Ooh, this looks good, guys. Anyone getting hungry yet? <laughs> a couple people. All right, let's give it a little try. How odd would it be for me to just eat salsa up here the whole rest of the message? <laughs> That's good. That's good. I like it. All right. How many of you like salsa? Okay. All of us. I love salsa. I love to suffer with salsa. <laughs> Did anyone notice any similarities with the ingredients of salsa that I was making? Anyone? What? Biggest to smallest. Okay. True. That's a, that's a good point. Biggest to smallest. Let me help you out here. We're going to dig a little deep. These, uh, these items that I use, let's say this tomato, is it alive, is it living, or is it dead? Interesting. I got some thinkers here. Is it alive or dead? If it was alive, what's feeding it? What's it connected to? Nothing, right? Was it alive at some point? Correct? It was attached to a vine at some point, right? And that vine was connected to the ground that was feeding it. But it no longer is. It was pulled off of there. The onion was pulled out of the ground. The cilantro was ripped out of the ground. The seed from the cuminin plant was crushed. Hello? And then it was all mixed in here. In fact, I might even say this. Everything that you eat at some point has to die, Right? I mean, that's why we instinctively know, like, Twinkies are bad, right? <laughs> it wasn't living at any point <laughs> at all. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'd say it this way. Death is the engine to life. Death is the engine to life. Now, we see this pattern all over the physical world, right? You know, the, the, the bird eats the worm, 
the cat eats the bird, the wolf eats the cat, and then later, down the road, the grandfather of the worm someday eats the wolf, right? It's, it's, if you watch The Lion King, it's the circle of life. Come on, help me out here. Right? We see this pattern all over, and you see it in other ways physically too, right? Anyone ever tried to get in shape? <laughs> How many know that's a death? <laughs> that is a death, a slow death. Ask a bodybuilder if you want to build muscles. What is actually happening to your muscles? You have to rip it. It has to be torn before it can actually grow. Um, when you're investing money, you have, to, you have to give over. You have to give money. You have to lay it down in order to get some. How many are a parent? Right? You remember that first year of parenting? You laid a lot of yourself down, didn't you? It was a death. <laughs> Sleeping is no longer a solution, right? We see this all over in the physical world. And here's the thing. So we see this as well all over in the scriptures. And we see it in the spiritual world too. Let me paint for you just a quick picture. God, in the early days of the Jewish people, said, I want you to, to mark your calendar seven times throughout the year. There are seven feasts that I want to give you. I don't have time to go through all of them, but... Let me give you just three of them real quick. One of them was the Feast of Passover, right? And we all know the Feast of Passover was them celebrating and remembering the, the, the Jewish people coming out of slavery. And God said, I want you to sacrifice a lamb on this day. And they sacrifice a lamb every year so that they remember, remember? That they killed a lamb and they took the blood and they put it on the doorposts and death passed by. And so every year I want you to, I want you to sacrifice a lamb I want you to remember that. And right after the Feast of Passover is the feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Feast of Unleavened Bread was remembering the time when they left Egypt out of slavery and they couldn't even, they, they left so fast they couldn't even let the bread rise, the, the flour in the bread. And so it was, it was an unleavened bread. And it was a time of year when, when they would plant all their seeds for the year. And they would say a, a prayer over those seeds. God, these seeds being planted, may you bless them. May, may there be much fruit that comes out of them. And then after the Feast of Unleavened Bread comes the Feast of First Fruits. And the Feast of First Fruits is when those, those seeds would sprout and you would get fruit. But just the first, first little bit of it. And they would take that first fruit and they would give it to God and say, God, you gave us the first part. We believe you're going to give us the rest of it. Listen to this. Jesus, the lamb of God, was crucified and sacrificed on Passover. He was buried on the feast of unleavened bread. And church, <laughs> he was raised on the Feast of first fruits. Now, like I said, I don't have time to break this all down, but the fact that these happened so closely was so rare in the time span that it, that it was incredible that God worked it out, that it literally happened that quickly. Normally, there was way more time in between those two. But it's as if God is saying, I want you to see this pattern. I want you to see this principle at work. There's a death and from that death, there is life. Matthew 27, remember we were reading it. 
Jesus cries out, he dies, temple's torn in two, right? The earth shakes. And then it says dead people that were in the tombs just started getting up and walking out (laughs) and walking into the city. You don't hear this taught too much, do you? (laughs) It's not like we have a hard time like trying to wrap our minds around this. Just like a whole bunch of people walking into the city. Hey, Steve, um, thought you were dead. (laughs) Like, I mean, can you imagine it? Hundreds of people that died twice. Like, how weird is this? Listen, listen. It's God's just showing you this pattern, this principle is at work. First fruits. Jesus died, and if you read Matthew 27, that verse, Matthew's very detailed in saying that before these people were resurrected and started walking into the city, it was only after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Buried, sacrificed, buried, comes alive, first fruits. It's it's the first fruits of resurrection. It's as if God is saying... The resurrection of Christ is giving all my people eternal life, a new life. And just to show you that this promise is going to happen, look at all the resurrection that is happening just in the city. Just life. Life from death is just happening. It's the first fruits. This principle is happening and we're seeing it. Now, if you want to see this a little more in depth we've got to talk about the process that's called the Roman triumphant procession. Now you say, what is a Roman triumphant procession? In the early days of the Romans, uh, when a general had a conquering quest, they would come back to Rome and they would celebrate and honor this general and they would lift him up. It was the, uh, the, the height of success. It was the highest level of honoring that you could do. By the time we get to Jesus's day, though, it's no longer done for generals. It's solely done for emperors and emperors only. So by the time Jesus and the gospel writers in, say, the book of Mark and Luke are writing, they've got a problem. How do you convince a Roman person that the person who is the most successful, the most life-giving, the savior of the world is the one that your people (laughs) accused and murdered. How do you convince someone that that is a savior and that is the son of God? In those days, the emperor was viewed as a deity. So Caesar Augustus, uh, Nero in the days of uh, Jesus, they were seen as a God. In fact, just the gospel writers saying that Jesus is the son of God, man, was that, that was huge. That was so anti-Rome. It was so anti the emperor because everyone viewed the emperor as God. So by the time we get to this time, many Romans know what a, tri- a Roman triumphant procession is. It is when the, when the emperor is given his, emperor, his, uh, his throne and is celebrated. And what would happen is they'd gather at the place called the Praetorium or the governor's uh, household. And the Praetorium was a uh, group of elite Gladiators, if you will. If you've seen the movie Gladiator, uh, you know, with the, with the red and the gold armor, and, and they were kind of like the secret service, if you will, of the Roman uh, army. And they were the ones that the emperor needed to have backing from. If you didn't have the support of the Praetorians, you didn't become emperor. And so they would gather at the Praetorium, 
and the emperor would show up and the Praetorians would be there in all their garb. It was amazing. It was quite amazing. And the first thing they would do is they would take the, uh, they had all kinds of statues of gods at those times, uh, uh, Dionysus, uh, Zeus, and uh, they, would ta- they would dress up their, their statues. And so they would take the robe of one of their go- uh, gods in the days of Jesus, it, it would have been Zeus, and so they would have taken Jupiter's um, uh, cloak, his purple robe, and they would have placed it on the emperor. Now, they may not have said the emperor is a god, but if you saw you know, Jupiter's purple robe, which was the color of royalty anyways, on your emperor, what would you think? He was a god, right? We were seeing a god in flesh here. And then they would take a, a, a golden wreath and they would place it on his head. And then at that point, the emperor would pull out gifts and he would give out these gifts to the Praetorians. And he would hand them out, and as he handed them out, it would be their confirmation. They would stand out to the crowd, the Praetorians, and they would say, Hail Caesar, Lord and God. Hail Caesar, Lord and God. And then they would begin the procession, a parade, if you will. And they would walk down the Via Sacred Road, all the way down to um, the, they called it, the nickname was um, Head Hill. And they called it Head Hill because when they were building Jupiter's temple, they found a human body fully preserved, head, skin, everything. And so the people began to call it Head Hill. And so they would walk this road and at the very uh, beginning of the procession would be the emperor. And next to him would be a large bull that would be sacrificed. And next to the bull would be the person holding a giant ax that would be the one uh, crucifying, that would be uh, sacrificing the bull, if you will. And then behind him was the praetorian, and then behind him was the mass of people, all chanting, hail Caesar, hail Caesar. Uh, The, the, um, what do you call the incense, the incense that would be filled. They said in Caesar, uh, in Julius Caesar's day, the, the amount of money they spent on just incense was in the millions You can see this was a very, very big deal. And they would arrive at Jupiter's hill, um, at Jupiter's temple or or head hill, and they would stand at the bottom of the steps. And the emperor would be offered a cup or a bowl of wine, and he would take the cup and he would pour it out onto the ground. Now, we don't know why he would do this necessarily. Some say it was a blessing for Rome. Some say it was the emperor saying, I, I will sacrifice and it, whatever I can for the greater good of, of Rome. We don't know. But either way, he would take the cup, the wine, and he would pour it out. And then the bull would be stunned and sacrificed. And the Praetorians then would watch the emperor as he selected two people of his closest uh, right hand and left hand, and they would ascend the steps to the very top probably a son-in-law or a family member, a brother, and they would ascend to the very top and he would turn out towards them and the Praetorians would, would look and the crowds would look and everyone would shout, Hail Caesar, Lord and God. Hail Caesar, Lord and God. And then they would wait. And they would wait from a signs or for signs from the gods. And Julius Caesar had a, in his Uh, funeral had a fallen star, and that was confirmation that that he had indeed ascended into his godship as deity, as a god himself. 
And they would wait for a sign that the gods would confirm. There was nothing greater, no one greater, no one more successful, no one experienced more of life than the emperor in that one moment. Listen to what the book of Luke, the writer of Mark, sorry, says in his telling of Jesus' death. Mark chapter 15, verse 16. If you notice something, <laughs> just kind of wave your hand if something looks a little familiar. It says this in verse 16, and the soldiers led him away inside the palace that is the governor's headquarters. Some of your translations might say praetorium. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed them in a purple cloak and they twisted together a crown of thorns that they put on him. Anyone noticing stuff, right? If you're a Roman and you're hearing this, you're going, wait, 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 I've seen this before. This looks very familiar. And they began to salute him at this point, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped off the purple cloak and put him in his own clothes and they led him out to crucify him. Verse 21. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. What is the cross? An instrument of death, right? Oh, are you seeing this? Someone walking next to the sacrifice with the instrument of death. Um, and they brought him to a place called, called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull. Hmm, interesting. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots to them to decide which each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge, charge against him read, King of the Jews. And with him they crucified how many robbers? Two, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple, rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes, they mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others. He cannot even save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Going back to our, our Matthew chapter 27, what happens? Jesus cries out in pain right? Yields up his spirit, gives it up. And then what happens? Earthquake. Curtain is torn in two. Resurrection is happening. The sign from God. This is king. I know you think in your monopoly world that this is the height of success and what life is. I'm here to tell you almost as like a transparency laying over it, saying your model of success in your world, I'm showing you it's through death and suffering that the Christ came. If death is the engine of life, can I say this? The greater the death, 
the greater the resurrection. And maybe some of us were waiting, praying, begging for resurrection life, but we're not willing to lay down and sacrifice and go and walk through death. Martin Smith, he wrote this song that's just been resonating in my heart and it goes like this. This one phrase, he says, we didn't count on suffering, we didn't count on pain, but if the blessing's in the valley, then in the valley I will wait. I wanna ask you a question, church, and I'm gonna give you a second to think about this. Think about your life. What in your life today needs to die so that you can really live? Is there something in your life that maybe you need to lay down so that you can really experience life? Salvation, church, there's nothing like it. But it's only possible when you make the decision personally to say, I lay down myself and my old way of life so that I can really live. Because death is the engine to life. And at the end of the day, if we place our value in the law of life to death, at the end of the day, it all goes back in the box. God is saying from death, I wanna bring life into you. Would you pray with me? If you're here this morning, I wanna ask you possibly the most important question anyone could ask you. Do you know Jesus Christ? And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Jake, Maybe you made a decision a long time ago and you've fallen away, but you're here now and you said, Jake, I wanna make a decision to follow Christ. And if that means laying down my life, then I wanna do it. If you're here this morning, I wanna give you an opportunity to make that decision. If you'd say, Jake, that's me. I wanna make a decision to follow Jesus. Would you just raise your hand up just real quick? I'm not gonna embarrass you. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, all kinds of hands up, yes. You can put them down. Scriptures don't make it complicated. They say that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you will be saved. In just a moment, we're gonna go into a worship song and I'm gonna invite all those that signed up to be baptized to head towards the back and if you're here this morning and say, Jake, I didn't plan on being baptized, but I want to right now. God's stirring something in my life. Then I want you to make your way back to the back as well as they begin to worship. We'll get you all set up and then bring you back up here. We're gonna get baptized. It's gonna be awesome, man. But maybe you're here today and you're, you're struggling with something or you notice something or the Holy Spirit's saying, this is the thing that I'm pointing at that needs to die because I want you to really live. God, I pray for every individual here 
those walking through a season of winter, uh, of death, of suffering, maybe pain, God, whatever the situation, I pray, God, that you would give them life and life more abundant. God, the focus isn't on death. The focus is on the resurrection. But we have to walk through the valley sometimes. And so we walk through it hand in hand with you. Give them courage and strength and perseverance, God, and let them see that there is a blessing in the valley and that there is fruit coming up from it. And even though the world tells us success is this way, we're gonna put our value in your principle. God, give us the strength to do this. In your name we pray, amen. Would you stand as we worship?
Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. in your hands This is my Now, in just a moment, we're gonna do one of my favorite things to do any Sunday ever, is baptisms. And here at Jubilee, we don't believe getting baptized is a funeral celebration, okay? We like to partay. So I'm gonna invite those, come on up. Why don't you give us your name and, and why you're choosing to be baptized this morning? So my name is Graham Thompson, and last year I had a chance to witness uh, in fifth grade, and uh, it made me really realize how much I wanted to do God's work. Awesome. What's your name? Uh, I'm Seth Stock. Seth, why and, are you choosing uh, to get baptized? Over this past year, I've really just uh, developed a relationship with Christ, and I've really been able to see the miracles and the blessings that he can do in one's life, and uh, I'm just ready to be the, the man of God that I can be. And, uh, Come on. Come on, man. What's your name? My name's TJ. TJ. Uh, I want to get baptized because I just want to live a righteous life through him, and every day I want to give him my full mind, body, and soul, and just read the word and see what he has to plan for me, and I know he's going to wash my sin and shame away. Come on, Jubilee. My man, give us your name. My name's David Baran. Why are you choosing to be baptized this morning? I've been saved. And I'm a new creation in Him. Come on. We're believing with you, man. What's your name? My name's Josh. Josh, why are you being baptized this morning? I felt like it was beyond time that I took the next step in my faith in God and continue to build my relationship with Him and be the best man I can be. Come on, Jesus. You guys can head over there now. Now the worship band's gonna come up. They're gonna finish one more song. And you're gonna see up on the screens those being baptized this morning. And I wanna encourage you, man, when you see that old man go down and that new creation come up, can we just make heaven jealous this morning in celebrating the life that God's doing? Can we do that? Come on, let's do it.
in the crashing, in the pressing, you are making right. In the soil I now surrender, that you are breaking your ground. So I yield to you and to Trust you, I need to understand. Make me a vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. God, I can't give it nothing, but all you have given me, Jesus, bring me. In the passing, you are making me right. In the soil, I now surrender. Will you embrace?
by praying a blessing over you every single person in this room I bless you with the freedom that we just sang about the new freedom and the new power and the new wine pouring out of you and I bless you with the strength and the faith to lay down your old flames right here right now at the altar 
in front of him, with him, and to carry his new fire in all that you are, in all that you do, in all that you say, in all that you think, in all that you feel, in all that you lead, that you would walk out of here carrying his new fire. I bless you with life to the full. I say it all the time in worship, but it's not just words. Jesus promised us life to the full. So I break off whatever the enemy is trying to or has tried to steal or kill or destroy in your life because you are greater because he is greater and your authority rises higher than that and you don't have to live like that. So don't live like that because Jesus is alive and he's after you and you and every single person in this room. It's not just talk. He means it for you. I'm talking to you. So open your heart and let that new fire come in as that new wine starts to pour out. Jesus, you can take these few words that I have. Holy Spirit, I feel you moving. You're the one that moved me to do this, but you are the one that now activates those things and moves in those places with us individually and in our families and in this church in ways that I can't and no one, no man can do. And so we just turn to you, Lord. We turn our eyes to you. We fix our hearts on you. God, we want to see your face in this room. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand that we walk in freedom, that the chains are broken, that the walls have fallen. And we know you're gonna do it again and again and again and again, and we thank you for that. So go in power now, be blessed. We love you guys, in Jesus' name.